1: to Jim Paris Live, your source for the latest news on money, politics, prophecy, and preparedness. And now your host, the editor-in-chief of ChristianMoney.com, and the author of more than 30 books, Jim Paris.
0: All right, welcome to our guest segment, one of the most fascinating topics we have ever covered on this show, the mystery of the Shroud of Turin. Could this actually be the burial cloth that Jesus Christ was wrapped in? after his crucifixion. Joining us to discuss this is an expert on the Shroud of Turin. He's a graduate of Saint Louis University with a bachelor's degree in theological studies and he's been studying and writing about the Shroud of Turin for almost 45 years. Joseph Marino, good to have you with us, sir. Great to have you back. Uh
1: thanks, Jim. Good to uh, be with you tonight.
0: Hey, so it sounds like you might be on a speaker if possible, if you could get closer to it or uh, pick up your handset, that would help us. So we don't miss, we don't want to miss a single word. Now we are going to get into some breaking news, some new developments on the shroud of Turin. But for those of you not familiar with the shroud of Turin, we're going to start by just giving a little bit of a background and a little bit of an overview, what I might call shroud of Turin for dummies. And I I include myself in that uh, to just get a little bit of an update. Uh, So Joseph, tell us for those not familiar those who have been living under a rock what exactly is the shroud of turin
1: well it's a, a long linen cloth it's about 14 and a half feet long by three and a half feet wide and it has the front and back images uh, of a man who appears to have been crucified and one can easily discern um, a wound in the side some puncture wounds in the head uh, scourge marks all over the body and in short um, the man appears to have all the wounds uh, that are mentioned in the four gospels
0: and one of the things to me that is the most fascinating about the Shroud of Turin is the uh, and I, I don't know the exact term for this but the the appearance of like a negative uh, image and, and what happens is when photographed it becomes a positive. In fact, there is, uh, it's very popular, it's shared all over social media, especially around Easter, this face, which could very well be the face of Jesus Christ, which is which is captured by a camera taking a picture of the negative exposure on the cloth. Talk about that image. And what is what we're seeing, could that actually be the face of Christ as that appears? Is that how that works that the camera takes a picture and then it becomes a positive of a negative.
1: Yeah. In the case of the shroud um, you know, many people only see the face of the shroud uh, pictures on the internet, but it's important to realize that it's the full front and back images. But as I say, most of the time, most people just see the face, but in any event um, yeah, in 1898 um, you know, the, the, Image to the naked eye is not that clear. As I said, you can make out some of the wounds, you can tell it's a man, and uh, various features. But uh, Secundo Pio was a an Italian lawyer in 1898, and the shroud was out was brought out for an exhibition uh, to celebrate uh, a royal wedding because it was owned by the House of Savoy at that point. And uh, you know, photography was only about 30 years old at the time. And Secunda Pia was an amateur photographer and uh, was enlisted to take some pictures of the shroud. And so he kind of, um, well, he did take full body images, but he also took some just of the face. And uh, when he did the one of the face, he was just, he said he almost dropped the plate because it, it looks kind of vague to the naked eye. But when you take a picture and you get your negative out, it pops out real lifelike, in other words, like a positive. So in effect, of those of us that remember photography before digital came along, you know, you would take a picture and you'd get uh, uh, your negatives and you look at the negatives and you couldn't hardly tell what it was. you say, who's that? And, right. you know, you really couldn't until the pictures were printed and became positive. And then you say, oh, yeah, that's, you know, that's what we actually took the picture of. But the negatives look different. Um, so he was shocked and he almost dropped the plate. So and in fact, the, uh, sh- the shroud image is like a photographic negative, which is one of the amazing characteristics of it that lead a lot of people to believe that it's authentic.
0: Now, just for people that are listening, that may not be Christians, because we have a very wide audience here, this is, this artifact is of interest to people that are Christians of course, but also for people that are not Christians. This is legitimately an artifact of great interest across all uh, religious belief systems. Isn't that right?
1: Yeah, you know, it's interesting. The Shroud's both um, an archaeological slash scientific object, and it's also, because of its um, supposed association with Jesus, it's obviously a religious and spiritual object as well. But um, the, you know, where you run into some problems is that some of the scientists and archaeologists that study it uh, may be atheists. And so they get a little uncomfortable with, with saying this matches to Jesus. So they kind of make it jump through hoops and um, to try to come up with a reason um, that it might not be Jesus. But in reality, even if it's a forgery, you'd have to say that the forger was intending to try to make it look like Jesus because no one, no one else fits the description and wounds that we see on the shroud.
0: Right. Including the crown of thorns. Isn't that right?
1: It's actually more of a cap of thorns because the punctures kind of cover the whole top of the head. we're so used to the Christian art that shows sort of like a circlet of of thorns. That's just, uh, you know, artistic tradition. And, you know, you, you kind of realize that a, a Roman soldier isn't going to take the time to, to weave a nice little circlet crown. He's just going to get a bush of, uh, of thorns and, and smack it on the top of the head. And that's what we see on the shot.
0: And those are some of the unique things, the, the puncture in the side, which is discussed in the Gospels, the, the crown of thorns. Um, what about the the piercings um, where we on the body? was the body nailed to the cross? Where were those nails?
1: Uh, In art, we usually see for the hands, um, we usually see it through uh, the palms because the, you know, the English translation of the gospels usually say hands, but uh, the Greek word um, encompasses both the hand and the wrist. And um, anatomically, we know that you have to, um, put the nail through the wrist because that's the only place that's strong enough to hold it to the cross. As far as the feet go, um, they're not exactly sure because part of the image is, is kind of cut off at the bottom of the cloth. Um, They're not exactly sure um, how many nails were used. It could have been as many as as three, depending on if it went through the top of the foot or the the, the heel. Um, So it, There's probably, as I say, one, two, or three nails in the feet. We're not exactly sure.
0: Now, there's a lot of different reasons why probably we could say that studying the shroud is important. But the one thing that, um, you know, we've had um, a lot of people on the show over the years to talk about the historical proof of the life of Jesus Christ. Because there is a lot of people today that don't believe that a man By the name of Jesus Christ that lived in Nazareth that this person ever existed. So when you start with that premise that there wasn't anyone that ever lived that was Jesus, it's very easy to dismiss uh, his ministry. But once you can prove that he actually lived. Uh, of course, you still have to make a decision. Do you believe that he was the son of God? Do you believe that he was resurrected? Do you believe that the stories in the gospel are accurate? So there's still a lot of faith that you must have and a lot of research that you must do. But if you dismiss the existence of the man, then you don't have to think through those other questions. I believe yeah. that studying the shroud is significant because it establishes that there was this person who was crucified as described in scripture. Now, what people do with that information, a million different directions, people can go with that, but it at least brings to the table a question of what will you do with this information about this real person who was really crucified. Now, um, from your standpoint as both a believer, as well as someone that has studied the shroud how, how what do you say is the most important reasons that we're studying the shroud
1: um yeah i think I think that's an important point you brought up about uh just in the last i'd say 10 years or so the the amount of uh, so-called scholarship that, that purports to show that that jesus never existed is just mushroomed and um i don't you know i think it points out the uh, fear factor of what you know Jesus's message was I mean you you never hear anybody say oh I, I wonder if uh, Caesar Julius Caesar existed or Alexander the great no that's not a problem because none of you know none of those guys talked about eternal life and what happens when you die but Jesus did and so you have this backlash I think of people saying oh he really didn't even exist and then that way you don't have to as you say, deal with the issues that come from that. And so you get so many people, including a lot of those scientists and archaeologists, I think that I mentioned, when they, when they see a shroud that seems to match to the historical Jesus of Nazareth, if they're not Christian, they say, oh, it's, it's got to be a forgery because their worldview won't let them say that it's Jesus because some people are so scared of it that they they just take the farthest route and say, oh, well, well, Jesus never existed, and that solves the problem for them. Some are braver and say, okay, you know, Jesus did exist, but I don't necessarily believe he was the son of God or, or resurrected. You do get the whole gamut of, of reactions. But I think the existence of the Shroud um, does point to, I mean, you can never, I always want to say up front, when I talk to people about the Shroud, is we can never really prove it 100%. You can get pretty darn close, I think. The last little bit that you you can't prove, I think you have to do by faith, which I think is a good thing, because, I mean, that's the nature of faith. God doesn't give us 100% knockdown proof of anything. He wants us to have faith, and that, that went for the resurrection event, and that goes for the shroud. Um, so people have to make up their mind what it means, but I think it it does show the historical existence of Jesus, and it, it's a, you know really a photographic record in some ways of his passion, death, and possibly his resurrection. Now we don't obviously don't know what happened at the resurrection, but I'm I always feel comfortable saying um, there seems to be some connection between the image that we see on the shroud and the event that we call the resurrection
0: because it's almost impossible. Even in present day science, there is no way to create that image today, even with our current laser technology and all those things that we have today. And the only, uh, there's not enough power. uh, I've read there's not enough power on the earth that could power a laser that could create that image that is on that cloth. Is that right?
1: Yes,
0: that's absolutely correct. Wow. Yes. And so what we're what we're left to think is, okay, so wh- whoever this person was has all of these injuries, as described in the Gospels. And then there is this image that is burned on there with this incredible uh, power that we don't even know that we couldn't replicate today. And the claim is that he was resurrected. And we have the cloth and we have the, the the picture of him in the cloth, but of course we don't have the body and we have something happened. And so that's where people have to start deciding what they're going to think about that. And for those interested, uh, just type in the historicity of Jesus and you'll find that even uh, among Atheists, uh, scholars uh, of archaeology will will agree. Uh, uh, history professors will agree that there was a man named Jesus. Uh, it's it's largely largely accepted. We have had Gary Habermas on uh, many times. Uh, we've also talked about Bart Ehrman's books uh, about the historicity of Jesus Christ. So we know that he lived. Which then creates this uncomfortable question for people, which is what they're going to do with his life. Are they going to respond to his message or not? And that's something people will have to decide to do. But it's easy to dismiss the whole thing if you say he didn't exist. Now, um, what about all of these claims, Joseph, that the shroud is a fake, that supposedly there was a carbon dating test that was done on it and it proved it was too recent? Uh, It couldn't have been. Uh, at the time of Jesus,
1: yeah. Well, carbon dating. Um, people have to remember the, the the method itself was only invented uh, like in the 40s, and then it was adapted. Uh, it needed a, a rather large size when it when it first started in the 40s. So in the early days, uh, when people wanted the shroud dated, they they would have required like a handkerchief size piece. And that was obviously too large. The, the church, you know, declined to do it. And then in the late 70s, um, a new method called accelerator mass spectrometry was invented, and you could you could date a piece of linen just with you know a few threads. So um, people started you know lobbying the the Vatican for for uh, that test. And in 78, um, a, a group of mostly American scientists had done a multidisciplinary uh, examination of the shroud. And since carbon-14 is destructive, they couldn't do it, and, and it had only been invented the, the year before that, so it was still too early anyway. Um, they had the, the shroud for five days, 120 straight hours, did the best science and technology, um, available at that time. They spent three years um, collating the data. They wrote up um, papers in two dozen scientific peer-reviewed scientific journals and wrote a summary statement and said that there was real blood on the cloth. And um, their main mission had been to, to find out how the image got on the cloth. And they actually failed in that part. And, and they, they said that the image was not the product of an artist. Well, in 84, 1984, they sent the Vatican another proposal for another round of multidisciplinary tests, but this time um, including the C14 test. And in, in July um, 1985, Cardinal Ratzinger, who later became Pope Benedict XVI, um, at the time he was like maybe the third highest ranking cardinal, something like that. He approved STERP their their work proposal for the twenty six tests, including the C fourteen. And that made a lot of sense because STERP had the, the most experience with the Shroud and knew the most about it. Well, there was other there various C fourteen labs wanted to get in on the C fourteen test to get basically to get a lot of publicity for their their labs and their new method, and a workshop was held in Turin in September, late September, early October, 1986, to um, plan how this C-14 test would go. And it, it's it's just kind of mind-boggling. Um, I I have a, a a book called the the 1988 C-14 dating of the Shroud of Turning, a stunning expose. I've got 800 pages there, and I've got an additional 80 entries on a website page that I uh, dedicated to overflow. And somewhere along the line, somebody was able to go over Cardinal Ratzinger's head and get that uh, approval rescinded. And stirp was knocked out of the 26 tests they were knocked out of the any involvement in the C14 test and they changed all the protocols from the workshop meeting in 1986 they were supposed to originally take it from like three or four different spots on the shroud they were supposed to use like seven labs and ultimately they reduced it to three labs and one spot on the shru- on the corner of the shroud which all the experts that said, do not take it from this corner, this corner has been cut on before. It may have been repaired. Do not take it from this corner. Guess where they took it from? That corner.
0: Hmm. So and there's a lot of reasons full- to doubt that. And that's in your 800 page book that this oh, has there, is yeah. there any is there any thoughts of getting a more a more up to you know up to date like right now a carbon dating on it now that we have of course better technology and there would be obviously better controls in place
1: um not at this time i've heard from i've got sources in in turn and in rome um and they tell me that no no testing will probably happen while pope francis is still alive and it's you know, I mean, the science and technology has ag- actually advanced to the degree that we actually have other dating tests uh, besides the carbon-14. And I have a feeling if they do another dating test, uh, they probably won't do that one because of, you know, obviously the previous problems with that one. But that they might attempt, um, there was an Italian professor in uh, Padua that did three different t- type of uh dating tests based on chemical and mechanical uh, degradation of cloth. And he said that his results showed that the uh, cloth probably dated between 200 B.C. and 200 A.D., which would put it uh, in the time frame of Jesus in the first century.
0: Wow. Um, Fascinating. Now, I, I don't want to lose people by getting too deep into the science. And what I want to do right now is, to give people a chance to call in with their own questions. So if you're listening on one of our audio streams, the number uh, in the United States. So if you're outside of the U.S., you'll just need to get to uh, a U.S. exchange and then you'll go to area code 646-716-4041. The number is 646 716 four zero four one we'll take callers first and then we'll start uh reading some of these questions coming in over facebook and also over email the email is jim at christianmoney.com and again the phone number is 646-716-4041 if you're watching on one of our video streams the number is in the lower corner of your screen and somebody wants to to know uh who has the shroud right now and who has had it Throughout history, do we know who the custodians have been of the shroud all the way from the time of the death of Jesus?
1: Well, um, it's currently owned by the living pope. So let me start, you know, in our current time and move backwards. Um, As I mentioned, in 1898, there was a royal wedding. It was owned by the House of Savoy. The last king of Italy, uh, who, who was the last ruling member of the House of Savoy, died in 1983. And in his will, he willed it to the, the living pope, and that took effect in 1985. So the, the living pope um, is, is the current owner of the shroud. Uh, before that, um, it was owned uh, by Margaret of Austria, In the, um, like the the 13th century, um, we only know exactly where it's been since about 1357, uh, when it showed up in France. Now, before that, there's other cloths in history that the shroud may be, uh, equated with. uh, There's something called the image of Edessa, and there was another cloth, and then it became the Mandelion when it was in Constantinople. So we have even though we don't have a documented uh, unbroken documented history, uh we have a pretty good idea of where it could have been uh pre 1350 all the way back to the first century. Uh I would recommend uh, any of Ian Wilson's books um that you can find on Amazon to um look at the history a little closer or if you can you're, if see you're a just timeline.
0: if you're just tuning in folks i just want to give people an update if you're just tuning in mm-hmm. we have a lot of people joining us about every 15 minutes we are discussing the the mystery of the shroud of turn our guest is joseph marino we're taking your calls right now at 646-716-4041 and and on this topic um it someone is asking what is the church's position on it I think they're probably the implication is probably they're asking about the Catholic Church's position on it which I would like to know and also do you what does the evangelical church uh, you know think of of this it, it's funny because we don't really hear much discussion about the shroud in evangelical circles at least I don't is that because it's a catholic artifact that that the evangelicals aren't all that interested in it and and do the catholics does the catholic church believe that it is the burial cloth of Jesus.
1: Um, yeah, you're you're spot on with the evangelical um, point of view. Uh, a lot of people just dismiss it because it's uh, of its association with the Catholic Church, but there are a lot of evangelicals that have who have taken the time to study it themselves that find the evidence so compelling that it, that it supersedes their their uh, distaste for you know Catholic relics. Um, the Catholic Church um, basically calls it an icon. They, they kind of use ambibu- ambiguous language, to be frank. I wrote a whole article on this, which is on um, academia.edu, um, and I list all the different uh, pronouncements that have made, been made by popes and the cardinals of Turin um, since the 1350s. Um, but basically, they, you know, the the church, the Catholic Church, never uh, defines or, or pronounces on the the authenticity of a relic. What they do is, if they know that something's uh, a fake, they will not promote it or allow it allow it to be venerated. If they think it it could be a, it could be authentic, but or they the evidence definitely doesn't disprove it they will allow uh catholics to venerate it and so the, the church does allow the, uh catholics to venerate the shroud meaning they they don't believe they certainly don't believe the 1988 results um because if they had believed them they would have said okay science has proved that the shroud's a fake therefore you know you you should not venerate it but that hasn't happened so they leave it open to the faithful it's it's um it's what i call sometimes a, a a sacramental it's it's something that helps us bridge the gap between us and god
0: yeah it's 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 certainly fascinating and i'm going to hit you with one more question from a listener and then i want you to take our last few minutes to give us any updates or what we can expect in 2022, anything new that you want to get into. So someone is asking you about the Knights Templar and their association with the shroud.
1: Yeah, it's believed by a lot of historians that um, the Knights Templar had it. It was the, the cloth that had been called the Mandillion was in, Constantinople from 944 to about 1204, and then it disappeared uh, during the the Fourth Crusade, and then it kind of disappeared for about 150 years until it uh, reappeared in France in the 1350s. And some historians believe that it was um, during that missing period of um, about 150 years that the Knights Templar, which was a group of kind of warrior monks, and they you know went to the Holy Land and we're looking for the the you know the cup of, of the last supper and such things uh it's believed they may have had it um there are some references in their literature um to people worshipping you know the head of a, a double you know double images and worshipping a head and stuff which some historians think might be the shroud but the his, the history for that is still somewhat speculative uh, another new book came out recently called uh, I think it's The Hidden History of the Shroud by Jack Marquardt, M-A-R-K-W-A-R-D-T. You can find his book on on um, Amazon.
0: Now, tell us going into this year, you do. I, I'm on your email list and it's almost every day you have something new to share or new articles that are being published, new findings. Uh, how active is is the study of the Shroud? It seems like there's a lot going on, and it seems like it's accelerating. Uh, what are some of the things happening now and that we can expect in 2022?
1: Yeah, this year is going to be pretty busy um, despite the COVID um, issue. Um, a nonfiction just came, uh, book came out that I emailed about recently, and I'm expecting there's at least six more nonfiction books in the pipeline that I'm aware of that are supposed to be out this year. And then there's also supposed to be um, a, a volume of a fiction uh, series, uh short fiction series, three, three parts. One part is expected out this year. Um, there's going to be a, a new film by uh, uh, Englishman David Rolfe to come out at Easter. Mm-hmm. It's called Who Can He Be? His site is um WhoCanHeBe.com? Um, oh, in February, the Museum of the Bible is, is having an interactive Shroud exhibition and they have, they're having two events, um, on February 23rd and also, uh, February 26th. You can find more information at the uh, museumofthebible.org. And then, um the Taze, Taze community of Europe, the youth uh, of that community is going to get a special preview of the shroud in July. It's been postponed twice previously because of COVID and they've rescheduled it for July. Uh, and then we're trying to uh, work with the museum of the Bible to have a, a mini conference to be held at the uh, end of the exhibit of July. And that's, that's still in the planning stage. If that doesn't happen. Is that the um, one in,
0: in Nashville, Joseph? Is that the one in Nashville?
1: Um, no that's they have a special um uh, that's a that's a different exhibit the museum of the bibles in uh washington dc it was made specifically for them okay. And it's going to be like a february to july and it's really good i saw a preview of it and um people can get a virtual ticket um both for the february 23rd and the february 26th events the so 2022 is going to be pretty exciting shroudwise
0: Um, we've got someone one more question coming in here. There's, there's several, but I, one more that I think is a great one that I want to ask you for people that want to get started in learning about the shroud. This sounds like there's so much information. Whoops. Did I lose you? No, I I think, I'm sorry. That that was probably just my
1: email. No worries.
0: You've got mail. uh, 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 So no worries. Um, So for people that want to, Uh, get started learning about the shroud. There's probably nothing um, as crass as the shroud for dummies (laughs) by that title, but they're asking, is there, is there sort of a starter, a primer that you would point someone to that wants to get started learning about the shroud?
1: Uh, That's a good question. Uh, I'm what my answer is going to probably give them more than I probably should give them. But um, if you go to shroud.com 'll get you'll get more information than you'll ever need both from you know and it's got uh, for the novice all the way up through the scholar and uh, just go to the homepage shroudcom and look at the homepage and and see what it has to offer and and you you'll you'll be able to find uh, whatever level of knowledge you're at with the shroud or where you want to go you will find tons and tons of material and that's also got a great search engine. So if there's any particular aspect of the shroud you want to investigate, you can put a term in the search engine and it'll just pull up from the website uh, any articles or videos or or whatever um, related to the question. So that, yeah, I would recommend Shrub.com for everybody.
0: And uh, as we close it out, uh, thank you so much for giving us an update and, and just wonderful information. How can people follow you online if they want to follow your published articles and your appearances, those sorts of things? What is your website?
1: Um, my website is um, www.homestead.com dot com slash new vistas. Homestead and new vistas are all one word. Um, Probably the easiest thing to do though is if, uh, as Jim mentioned, I I have a uh, email list that I send out uh, updates about Shroud videos, articles, etc. If you email me, uh, which is jmarino240 at aol.com uh, I'll add you to my list and you will be blind copied so that your email is not shared and you can be uh, you can ask to be removed from the list at any time. I don't get offended. So if you uh, email me there, jmarino240 at com, and ask to be put on my shroud email list, that's the best way to keep up. With not I, I want to
0: make sure people have it. So it's it's your first initial J. And then Marino, yep. M-A-R-I-N-O, the letter J, and then Marino, no spaces, J Marino, 240 at AOL.com. Is that right? 240. 240, yep. yep. J Marino, yep. 240 AOL.com. at AOL.com. Joseph Marino, it is fascinating, fascinating as always. Thank you so much for being with us, sir. You're
1: welcome, Jim. It was nice All to right. be
0: with you. God bless. Talk to you next time. Wow. If, if that doesn't give you chills... If that doesn't give you chills, I don't know what does. Whether you're a Christian or not, if if you are not interested in what this cloth is, I don't know if you're still breathing. I mean, it's just just fascinating. The Shroud of Turin, something we're probably going to do at least a couple times a year on this broadcast, because I am personally fascinated with everything to do with the Shroud of Turin. Thanks so much for joining us. It's been a great week. Stay warm wherever you are. Shovel the driveway if you're getting hit with snow. Uh, Get an extra cup of uh, hot chocolate and keep yourself safe and warm. And we'll talk to you next time. Remember, if it's Sunday night, it's Jim Paris Live. So long, everybody.